This is Shaping the Future by Regent Street, brought to you directly from the iconic London Street itself and launched to celebrate its 200th anniversary year. Our modern world and everyday experiences are constantly being formed and informed by cultural influences around us. From traditions of old to the incoming tides of technology and emerging trends in fashion, art, food and well-being, this podcast celebrates how Regent Street is leading the way with these cultural forces and their impact on places now and in the future. I'm Elizabeth Day, journalist, podcaster and cultural magpie, and I'll be interviewing leaders making pioneering contributions to the world around us. Hello, welcome back to Shaping the Future by Regent Street. I'm your host, Elizabeth Day, and today we're talking about shaping the future of digital experiences in retail. Regent Street is home to a portfolio of brands making massive strides in the future of digital experiences, in-store, in interesting and diverse ways. From the flagship Microsoft Store offering a host of in-store experiences to Mulberry's immersive VR pop-up and Tommy Hilfiger's interactive mirrors. Can't wait to discuss those. I've got three fantastic guests with me today. First off, we have Alex Spardella, the Senior Vice President at GDR Creative Intelligence. Alex is a technology, retail, consumer and hospitality expert, specialising in making complex trends and technologies relatable for any audience. And it's a pleasure to welcome Louise Watkins, Sector Director for Retail, Consumer Goods, Travel and Transport for Microsoft. Louise has been with Microsoft for 16 years. She's held a number of management positions in sales and marketing and in the interface with their partners. And lastly, we welcome Paul Noble, creative director of Spiritland. He's also the founder and experienced radio and digital producer with over 20 years experience as a music consultant, sound engineer and DJ, working closely with a number of high profile brands to realise their musical and audio ambitions. I mean, I feel very underqualified, but welcome to all three of you. And thank you for making the time today to chat to us about the future of digital experience in retail. So I wonder if I could kick off by asking you, customer experience has already changed so dramatically over the last few years. But what, in your opinion, is one of the most notable trends of this area in terms of the next sort of five years? Louise, can I start with you? Yeah, of course. If I think about one of the, I guess, the key areas that I think will really transform the face of digital and retail over the next five years is going to be artificial intelligence. And um, we've actually just recently commissioned a report which is all around accelerating your competitive advantage through artificial intelligence. And we actually surveyed business leaders and employees actually to really look at how far we've come and what challenges business face today. And actually through the non-linear kind of consumer journey that we now have, where we have this rise of the digital consumer where they have a lot more kind of complex wants and needs um, I really feel retail have the opportunity to um, utilize AI to really scale the opportunity through engagement around experience in store online and obviously through mobile it's so interesting that you talk about experience because Alex I think a lot of people when they hear AI will worry that that means humans being overtaken yeah. by robots yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and you know that is a, that is a genuine fear I think we should we should be aware of that I think what's quite interesting is if you look at 
so if we, if we if we try and think about the future, we it's sometimes instructed to go and look at the past. And I think if we go right the way back to 1850, 1860, when the department store was kind of coming in and there wasn't any technology and you had a very personalised service, you had, you know, everyone knew who you were, you kind of trusted the retailer to make a lot of decisions for you. And then we kind of moved away from that, you know, and we spent most of the 20th century trying to make retail as big as possible. We scaled it, we got as many products into stores as possible. We had big cavernous warehouses on the edge of town. And then, and technology was there all about efficiency. You know, it was all about basically every time a retailer got hold of technology, they'd use it as an excuse to get rid of people. You know, they'd try and cut headcount wherever they could. Um, and now since the kind of the internet revolution and everything going into the, the kind of hands of the consumer, um, what we've sort of seen is is almost like a return to that original goal of that very personalized service, you know, knowing all your customers. Um, and that's where AI kind of comes into that picture. And now retailers kind of have a choice because they can say, well, we can do what we used to do, which is use this as an opportunity to just get rid of all the humans and, you know, have robots buzzing around. And, you know, I've been to stores with robots kind of trundling around the aisles and it's very interesting. It's very novel. But then the other side is to say, well, actually, what's, you know, if I go to a physical store, what do I want? I want to probably talk to a person. They can make a massive difference. So actually, I think the the smart retailers are saying, let's give our people the tools and let's use AI to make our humans better rather than, you know, we don't all want this completely impersonalised service. I mean, you can you can go now and have a coffee made by a robot and it's fun and it's interesting. Where do I go to get a coffee made by a uh, robot? So there's, there's a place called Cafe X in San Francisco. Okay. Um, there's there's also, there's a robot ice cream parlour that's just opened up in Australia. You know, and it's it's fun, like, and it's it's cheap as well. The, the idea is that because you're not paying a barista, um, you know, it's it's like $3 for a coffee in San Francisco, which is ridiculously cheap by San Francisco prices. But it's, you know, it's not really, it's, it's, it's a gimmick, essentially. Mm. Um, and I think the really interesting thing is where we start to see that stuff that isn't so visible. You know, it's where the person you're talking to knows you really well and, you know, knows what you want and not in a creepy way, but in a, in a personalised way. <laughs> because that's, you know, that's another point, right? Every time I log onto whatever website I'm shopping with, they say, hello, Alex. But if I walked into a shop and they went, hello, Alex, with no you know, no prior warning, I'd be creeped out. So there is that kind of balancing act where we have to say, you know, how are we going to use this technology? Are we making, are we making the service better? Are we making it more personalised, uh, more experiential? Or are we just going to have, you know, cold, unflinching efficiency everywhere? Because mm. I think that would be a mistake. And just, I think just to add to that, I agree. I think it's sort of artificial intelligence is really around augmenting human ingenuity and I think if we can start to look at it like that it's really thinking about how you can scale your efforts as you say in terms of technology and um, through really augmenting the capability you have of your people and your experience that you provide and actually on the kind of topic of coffee um, if I think about Starbucks for example when you think about how actually artificial intelligence is helping there they're actually they've got something called the internet of thing kind of device which is on, based on Azure Sphere and you put a device into the coffee machines and actually it's all about ensuring that they can at scale understand if their coffee machines are working efficiently and also provide predictive maintenance so actually that completely frees up time for the barista to spend more time with their customers so again it's it's again not taking you know jobs or anything away from people but it allows them to spend more time with their customers that's so interesting because Paul I know Spiritland is the perfect fusion, really, of all these things that we've been talking about. Because you do use 
modern technology, but you use it in a way that feels very human and experiential. Tell us about um, Spiritland. Well, I mean, I slightly feel like the fraud around the table because we're actually, we we started this uh, with a love of music. We are a group of people who have a really broad selection of music, which, you know, goes from jazz and soul and rock to pop, reggae, disco, classical. And we wanted to celebrate this and uh, really elevate the listening experience in a time where, you know, listening to music has actually become quite a sort of mundane task mm. and totally disconnected from the magic uh, and the emotion at the heart of music, which is kind of what everyone falls in love with when you start listening to your own music. And we have three spaces in London. We've got a bar in King's Cross, which we opened in 2016, which is built around one of the most incredible sound systems you'll ever really hear uh and we have people playing in there who you know you would have heard of the sort of jarvis cocker hot chip we've got people who you've never heard of who've got incredible taste in music we love to collaborate we work with radio three and penguin and all sorts of uh, kind of arts institutions so that's where it began we then were looking for spaces in the Soho and the West End weren't ready to sort of take out an enormous building and do anything so in fact we took out the smallest building on earth which is it's on New Burlington Street it's not too far away from here so it's in between Regent Street and Savile Row and it's one of the elements of what we do so it's retail so we sell headphones and personal audio players in there you could probably get four or five people <laughs> in this shop it's you know we call it the Spiritland headphone bar as in yeah it's not a bar, but it's a, somewhere you can mm. come and hear a range of headphones starting at around £150 and going up to 4000 you know, sort of big money. Uh, but all of them in their own range have a kind of incredible performance and, you know, we think will beat anything else uh, sort of comparable in that range. And then last year we opened a big site at Royal Festival Hall, which is a 180-seat restaurant open seven days a week with a again with an incredible sound system and cultural policy so that's the sort of overview of spirit and where it kind of touches into this conversation is we're not sort of analog purists so it's not we're all sitting there with vinyl and valve amps <laughs> that's a part of what we do but certainly not the headphone bar you can bring your own music in you can pick music from tidal uh, which is you know the uncompressed higher quality version of spotify uh we sell digital players. We do sell record players as well. But really, at the heart of it is the listening experience and actually the the personal experience and the sort of one-on-one -on -one moment of being in a shop with someone who really knows their equipment, uh, knows the, you know, the range. It's not a, a pushy experience at all. If you just want to come in and hear them and then leave and think about it, it's quite a big purchase quite often. So what we're doing is actually more in the sensory realm of we looked at these headphones and players which are actually beautiful products and selling them the way we wanted to sell them would be akin to selling a suit mm. or a watch you know we wanted the customer to spend time with the product to have a a sort of luxurious experience and really mm. so you know the fit out in the shop is exquisite it's travertine and curved wood and it looked it's like being in a 1930s first class cabin on a you know on a Lovely. cruiser and you can have a whiskey you can have a coffee it's it's actually you know there's a technology element in there but it's actually more about uh 
let's celebrate this equipment. You know, you, you put the headphones on, it will just blow your mind, the, the, the sort of audio experience of listening to them. Mm. And I guess in that respect, the location is so key. So you mentioned it that you compared it to sort of being fitted for a suit. So being close to Savile Row, in between Regent Street and Savile Row, must lend a certain presence, I guess, because of the history of this area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what's around. There's the art galleries. There's Soho over the road with, you know, the media and film industry still here. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very, very walkable from pretty much anywhere in town, mm. and it does, you know, certainly people walk past. It's we're quite low key our branding. It's not, it's not a big sign saying headphones. It's it's reasonably discreet. So you walk past mm. and see what's in the window, mm. and then ah, oh, go in and have a look. Louise, I know that again, geographical space is very important to Microsoft. But yeah. I heard Alex earlier describe your flagship store on Regent Street as being a really lovely, it's like an analogue version of a digital world because you can have a sort of very physical experience whilst also being surrounded by cutting-edge technology. Is that is that a fair description? <laughs> I think that's a very good description. I'm glad that you didn't ask me the question and I had to try and deliver something similar. But um, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the reason why, you know, it's very similar to what we've been discussing. I mean, the experience is so important now. And I am... Um, I think what we've tried to do with the flagship store here, and as you say, in terms of this particular location, we do try to make it very much an experience centre. Technology is changing, you know, faster than anybody um, kind of expects, you know, on a daily basis, minute by minute. And so it's really important for our customers to feel like there's a place to go to, to fully, you know, immerse themselves in the technology, but also have the people there to support them rather than it just being online or potentially even, you know, faceless organisation when you are a large organisation online. So I think just having the store here just really brings that experience to life. And, you know, we love it here. And as you say, it's close to so many innovative organisations across the street. <laughs> so, Alex, apart from Microsoft, what brands in this area do you think are really nailing it? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I think there's what's what's quite interesting uh, about Regent Street in particular is that it attracts a kind of flagship store experience, and in in many ways, that's kind of the the purest expression of of where we're going with with real stores, uh, you know, physical stores, because um, you know it's, it's generally where you tend to see the kind of the best, you know, the People put their their. I mean, you know, look at the Microsoft Store. It's it's the kind of best Microsoft Store in the world right now because of where it is. So I think I think what's interesting is kind of looking at the contrast. So you have um, people like Mulberry, you know, very luxury brand. They want quite a you know not a particularly uh, overtly digital experience. I'd say where that's more about the kind of customer service. Uh, you've got someone like Tommy Hilfiger, which is a very digitally equipped store. They've got screens and mirrors and uh, RFID tagging, so they know what stuff you've taken into the change rooms and stuff like that. Um, so that's more about kind of, for them, I think, moving to a bit more of a, a different perception of the brand, maybe amongst younger consumers who prefer techie stuff. Obviously, Spirit Land, we're a big fan. We, we covered when you opened. We think it's it's great in terms of that kind of more luxury experience, I guess, in a category that hasn't really had mm, it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and also just that, the, I think when you said earlier, like, you know, you felt like you, you were kind of underqualified. I think the, the point is that, you know, it came from a passion, right? It came from a real expertise and a passion, which I think is what people really want from a retailer. I think, you know, in, in some cases, you don't really get that. You know, you could look at something like uh, Bottle Top, 
So Bottle Top is a, uh, they're a, a handbag brand primarily. And they're very much about sustainability. So the entire store is 3D printed from um, recycled materials. The the ceiling is made of aluminium cans. So it's a very technology-led store. But actually, there's no, no, there's not really any technology in it. So it's, you know, it's kind of making, and again, I think that's the sort of, you wouldn't really see that store in some random provincial town. You know, that that's the sort of experience that really only works in central London or central New York or wherever. Yeah. Oh, and ASICs I should call out as well, because ASICs is very much a, um, so they have like robot legs running in the window. They've got delivery chutes inside the store, stuff like that. So that's a very, you know, they're kind of saying, look, we are, we are techie and proud and we're going to put it on display. So yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of contrast, I think, uh, all in one street. Every single time someone talks about this and the store of the future, I always remember like, Big, that film, that 1987 <laughs> oh, yes. Big, with Tom Hanks <laughs> jumping across the electric mm. piano and then like kitting out his apartment with all this fun stuff because mm. it just does sound so immersive mm. and so fun the way that you, you guys talk about it. Um, Paul, can I ask you, with, with Spiritland, have you seen a rise in an incredibly well-informed consumer who might have more demands than they would have done in the past because they know so much. We attract a really broad mix of people because of the the sort of diversity of what we do. At one end, we have, you know, we last night we had a Bob Dylan night. Previously, we've done, you know, we'll, we'll have a night dedicated to one artist, which is a real kind of heritage celebration of these musicians. So we've done Kraftwerk and Funkadelic and Bowie and Prince and so on. Each of them have their own crowds. And, you know, honestly, last night there were people my parents' age drinking red wine. It was extremely civilised. Mm-hmm. Another night we might have the most cutting-edge artist from the underground scene of Lisbon or Tokyo or Detroit or wherever it is. And then it's a totally different crowd, you know, much younger. Maybe it's part of the fashion world, maybe it's part of the film world. So what we're doing is sort of pretty egalitarian People use the space in lots of different ways. It's not a members club. There's no great barrier to entry. You can come in and have a coffee for £2.50 or whatever it is. So um, there is a mix of people who are... There's the audiophiles who've heard about the system and want to ha- you know, have this listening experience. There's people on dates. There's people on nights out. <laughs> it's it's People are using it in lots of different ways. There's obviously, you know, for the music aficionados, we're kind of... We're making all your dreams come true. There's a lot of other activity around the, the central playing of music and eating and drinking. So we have a radio studio in King's Cross. We do lots of radio activity. And the latest thing we've done is we've got a production company. So we've built an outside broadcast vehicle, which is basically a travelling recording studio on wheels. It's a 13-metre Mercedes truck, which is sort of capable of doing very, very high-end productions. What looks like a, a bunch of sort of quite distinct uh, activities being retail, radio, mm-hmm. hospitality. Mm-hmm. Actually, you put it together. It's an entire music brand. Mm. And at some places, the people we're talking to are, you know, with with the truck, for example, there's maybe 20 people in the, com- in the UK and 100 people around the world who that's relevant to. But they're from the record labels, the broadcasters, the streaming companies and so on. Mm. Whereas at the other end, you know, come in, have something to eat and drink, meet your friend. You know, it's a very low-key approach. So, yeah, it's we, we talk to different groups of people in mm. different ways. Uh, and some of it's very niche and esoteric. Mm. And then 
you'll come in and it'll be a George Michael night. And it's, you know, that's a totally <laughs> mm. different story. But ultimately, I suppose there, I guess you've got a very informed set of consumers or customers and very passionate about the industry and the music. And I suppose it's just around, you know, creating that extra immersive experience isn't it that they wouldn't be able to get anywhere else yeah and that's right because i mean we've certainly found that with consumers today that i mean wind back eight years ago and the salesperson or the person on the shop floor would know a lot more than you know mm. the consumer and now it's completely the other way around there's uh, i think like 90 percent or something of the research is done prior or during the experience we found mm-hmm. and actually so we have these informed consumers highly passionate individuals so what else can you offer mm. on top of that it's yeah. just as you're saying you know, paul in terms of that immersive experience it's sometimes the end-to-end experience i mean obviously we're in you know slightly different industries and so we're talking about everything from skills to um having very helpful staff to help them whether it's the business leader or as a consumer and gaming experience and actually building out a community but i think guess in your line of work it's also it's that experience that they wouldn't be able to experience anywhere else but you've got this shared love of music yeah. haven't you which i think is is a, is a real difference that you bring to the market i think that's a really important part as well the mm-hmm. you know we now have essentially infinite choice available to us mm-hmm. you know and everything from what headphones to buy to what album to listen to to what sandwich to eat for lunch and the 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 trick is actually helping customers navigate all that choice and you know i like i'm the worst for spending six hours researching a, a purchase yeah. and looking at 20 different things <laughs> exactly. and I'm still no closer mm. to a decision. Mm. And that's where, you know, a good retailer can come in and say, look, we'll either we, you know, we only sell five different ones and these are mm. the best and we've done all the legwork. Yeah. Or, you know, you have that conversation with someone in a store and they can kind of guide you and you can feel it and you can, mm. you know, try it on. I mean, listen to it if it's yeah. headphones, yeah. of course. That is the personalised experience. That mm. is the the opinion and the curation, yeah. which is such an important role, I think, of being a retailer. It is. And, and I think but it's really important to call out, isn't it, that whilst a lot of research is happening online, community building is happening online, 90% of the business is still done in store. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I think it's even 92% still in terms of, if you think about that shopping experience, it's still purchased in store. So whilst we're seeing a reduction of perhaps shops in terms of repurposing for other uses, I think the retail vacancy has gone up to something like 43,000, which is an all-time high. And mm. as retailers, we're, we're all feeling the squeeze. What's being replaced is actually perhaps fewer shops, but actually more experiential mm. centres and hubs for customers to really see in terms of their, their window into their business. And people are really considering, you know, similar to, you know, Paul in terms of that end-to-end immersive experience. Not that I don't want to talk to your business because you probably do a much better job of that, but that end-to-end immersive experience that you've got through um, catering for the wants and needs of your consumers. And that also, though, takes us back to where technology can play a role in terms of the information that you can capture on um, your customer and the behavioural side of things so you can start to not only provide the right product and solution and service but also start to predict. And this is not about, you know, if we go back to AI rolling out something that's not responsible or not ethical. This is about actually really taking the time to understand your customer and doing more to cater for their needs as we get more and more competitive. I think it's a marketplace. But as you say, bricks and mortar is certainly not dead or dying. It's it's booming. I'm going to start this question with you, Alex, but I'm actually really interested in what everyone will say because um, 
you're an expert in this particular field and I wonder what you've seen that has blown your mind recently or what you're really excited about in the next five years mm. in terms of technological development. I mean, you've already mentioned the robot barista. Well, yeah, and, and I'm, a, you know, I'm a massive nerd, so robots uh, are always welcome. Um, I think what is... Well, okay, for a start, some of the stuff that's coming out of China is is ridiculous. For example, they have uh, they have a lot of unattended stores. You can't get in without scanning your face and scanning your phone. So if you do shoplift, right. they know exactly who, right. who it was. But there's one, there's one called Moby, which has taken that concept and then put it on wheels. So the idea is that it's a store that you could theoretically call like an Uber to come to you. It's it's, it's actually running on a university campus, but it's it's a it's a self driving store that will that will literally come to you and sell you, you know, an apple or a... Uh, is it a grocery store? Yeah, well, it's, it's, like a, it's like a corner shop. It's like a mobile corner shop. Well, so you would call it out and then you could walk into the yeah. mobile store? Yeah, so it'll drive up to you, you go in, it scans your face, it knows who you are, you take whatever you want and you leave. It, That's it's, amazing. It's mind-blowing. Now, it's, it is only a concept, you know, it, it, it only works at the moment on a on a university campus because it's like a restricted environment. But even IKEA have done concepts for this in terms of this. We might have these roaming stores that are just driving around all the time with, you know, and they maybe go where the demand is most. So they know, I don't know, after a football game is kicking out, then they might drive a load of merchandise stores up there and then it might go somewhere else. So, it's re- I mean, it's it's really interesting stuff. I mean, again, it goes back to... That's not the that's not the rich, engaging experience. That's like the pure efficiency side of things. Although I think what's interesting about that is that it's the the difference between reading a newspaper online and going to the specific articles that you want to read and reading a newspaper in physical format and serendipity taking you to a story that might mm. be on the other page. Yeah. So when you're in this mobile store, there might you might want to buy orange juice, but then your attention might be diverted and you might also pick up a T-shirt or something. Yeah. So I guess it makes more sense. Yeah. That wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that, you know, how, how the economics of that work, mm. you know, <laughs> realistically how much profit are you going to make if you just buy a Mars bar? So I think they're, they're going to have to sell you other stuff once you're in there yeah. uh, in order to make that work. Paul, what about in the world of music? Are there any particularly exciting um, developments? A lot of my interest in retail and the places that I'll visit if I'm travelling are the more um, hybrid eclectic stores like something like VU in Berlin, which has clothing and music and homewares, um, Mercy in Paris, Droog in Amsterdam, where I was last week, which is, you know, a store, but also a kind of art concept with lighting and furniture and uh, a cafe. I find the sort of innovation there. And the, again, it's the, the sort of heavy curatorial hand of people mm-hmm. saying, right, actually, this is a box of paper clips, but we really like the design. Or, <laughs> you know, this is, yeah. a, a, you know, something we've created with our 3D prints, whatever it is. To me, I mean, I, you know, the idea of a travelling store... Is fan- I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and Louise, what about you in terms of future developments or things that you've seen that have blown your mind? Well, I, I kind of go back to what I mentioned at the start, which is artificial intelligence. Again, reiterating it's augmenting the human capability because I think, as you say, people get worried about machines taking over. But if you think about, you know, the ability to really transform the experience you give to your customers through artificial intelligence. It's just phenomenal. And actually, I think the last few years, perhaps um, retailers have kind of picked up nascent technology where something like a chat box, which perhaps hasn't 
you know, it's just literally just something that provides answers. But if you think about an intelligent agent now that can really um, support and personalise an experience online or in the store or whatever, it can make a huge difference. I mean, that side of things is really exciting. But I mean, actually, there was um, a mixed reality, a kind of virtual reality uh, there's an Italian store, actually. They've now actually just opened a store in New York. So they have to have quite a, quite a large amount of real estate. If you think about all the furniture that they need to provide in the store, and actually what they've done over the last few years is actually utilised HoloLens. So Microsoft HoloLens to actually then immerse the consumer in an experience where you can see all the different bits of furniture and different colours and uh, materials, etc. And then you can see it in your own home. Oh, that's so clever. So a hololens is like a hologram lens. It's um, right? it's a virtual reality lens where you put it on and you can immerse yourself in a yeah virtual reality world. Would you say that's yeah? How you it's, it's, describe it. It, it overlays virtual stuff <laughs> on the real world. Yeah, so, so it's mixed reality. Exactly, I think is what they call reality. it. But they've been using it, and it's really interesting because it improves the customer experience that the customer has because obviously they can see it in situ within their own home. But the other thing is that it massively reduced the real estate costs they have with these large kind of furniture stores. So actually what happens is, again, similar to kind of our stores, we, they can have it in prime locations, but a lot smaller because they can then immerse themselves in this customer experience. But at the same time, you know, don't have to have large sort of out-of-city stores. So I think that's pretty impressive. And again, you know, you've got you've got a lot of data that sits behind that. You've got a lot of um, artificial intelligence that augments the customer lifecycle as you go through as, a, you know, an Italian retailer. So that's... That's a great example. Areas. How involved is Microsoft on the other side, which means developing technology for retail spaces to use? Um, I mean, we're working with a connected store where we're really starting to look at um, buying patterns and behaviours, you know, monitoring what's on the shelf, what's not on the shelf, for example, um, if you look at sort of the best before dates. So it really starts to enable a really intelligent uh, retail supply chain in addition to helping the people in store. um, So those that are actually connecting with their customers provide a much better personalised experience so their people can start to be their brand ambassadors you know within the store. Alex what about restaurants Mm. are there restaurants that are incorporating this sort of technology? Yeah I think I think we're seeing more and more those kind of you know the things that seem really obvious once you've done it once so like um, you know stuff that lets you order to your table uh, from your phone or lets you pay the bill without having to wait for a waiter or waitress to bring it around to you. I mean, if anyone remembers when Wagamama was kind of first coming out and they had mobile ordering and yeah. it was it was like a it was a massive deal. And now mm. of course find a restaurant that doesn't doesn't offer that. So I think we're seeing generally uh, the kind of the I mean even Weatherspoons now has a you know has the app that you can order to your table. So it's it's kind of permeating the industry just in terms of that you know really kind of basic housekeeping I guess or like um and then of course we're seeing uh, more and more concepts that are, I guess, really trying to push the boundaries of what everyone's going for an experience, right? Everyone wants something that's that's unique. Um, there's one in New York now where you catch your own fish and then you you eat it. Um, it's not obviously very on trend with the vegan uh, movement, but you know we're seeing 
Uh, there's there's a wonderful example uh, if you go to the Lego Museum, where for ordering off the kids menu, the, you get the children to actually build the thing they want to eat out of Lego and then put that into a machine. <laughs> that is genius. It's so cool. Like and so there's lots of things like that where they're looking at the kind of the restaurant experience and saying how can we make this you know mm. an actual you know of, of course that's 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 not going to be the the norm but. That's, I think, the most interesting stuff. Um, in the New York restaurant, so did you catch the fish out of a big aquarium? Yeah, there's 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 literally a, a giant kind of indoor river uh, inside. It's, it's <laughs> I a, did wonder how they were going to do yeah. that. Yeah. So how did you ask the question? Yeah, fishing they, them out of the Hudson. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want <laughs> yeah. to eat that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I think with all these technologies, what I would say is that, you know, everyone's looking for the disruption and differentiator. But it really is important to start off with that strategy in terms of, what is it you're trying to achieve? What are your values? Why do you want to be different? And how are you going to bring that to your customer? As well as thinking about data, think about the technology. But importantly, how are you going to evaluate the benefits? If you're adopting AI, how are you going to evaluate what a successful it like, look like? And then secondly, I would say performance is it's about what you do and how you do it. And the last one, and it's quite a big word, sorry, is like the democratization. So this is around how do you make it available to everyone in your business? But I just would urge, I mean, it sounds really basic, but I think when we're adopting new, these new technologies, I think sort of having those three key areas to roll it out is going to be critical and it, it really will make a difference mm. and accelerate their digital transformation. So happy to facilitate this meeting. Uh, we've had first dates, we've had robot baristas, we've had mobile shopping stores, we've had whiskey and headphones. Uh, I've loved this discussion. Thank you all three so much for coming in today. Um, thank you too for listening to Shaping the Future by Regent Street. And please tune in to the next episode when we will be covering the future of beauty. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shaping the Future by Regent Street. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take a minute to rate, review and subscribe. It really does help other people to find the show. Follow more Regent Street happenings at Regent Street W1 on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, head over to regentstreetonline.com for more detailed information. This has been Shaping the Future by Regent Street with me, your host, Elizabeth Day. Elizabeth Day.